Let me greet you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We thank God for bringing us together once again in his presence to hear uh, his word and, and most especially to sing beautifully to his uh, glory and uh, singing his praise together, lifting up our voices. I see two uh, new faces. Uh, uh, can you introduce yourselves? Yeah. Oh, okay. Who? Lydia. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Okay. okay. No, great. Good to have you. Uh, may God bless you as, as we fellowship together today. And we'll talk, obviously, after church. All right. Uh, we continue with our series in Philippians, Life in Christ. Uh, today, we are on Philippians chapter 3, and we're looking at verses 12 to 16. Verses 12 to 16, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 16. And the, the, the title of today's sermon is A Godly Ambition. A Godly Ambition. Let me read from uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 16. And I read from the ESV. This is God's word. Let us hear him. Paul says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is God's word. And let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you speak to us through your word. And as you speak this morning, we pray that you give us hearts that will listen. Hearts that will be opened to receive what you have to say to us even today. Help us, O oh God, to pay attention to what you have to say. Help us, O oh God, to eagerly receive it and to eagerly apply it in our lives. May your name be exalted in the preaching of your word. Give me clarity of speech and clarity of thought, even as I declare your word. Protect me from error, Lord, and give me the ability to explain your word clearly and in an understand, understandable way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The year is June 20, 1976. It was uh, during the Olympic Games in Montreal, Canada. And on the podium stood a proud Japan gymnastics team with their necks adorned with gold medals. The, the crowd shouting with excitement and the, the Japanese flag flying high in victory. 
This was their fifth straight edition win of the Olympic Games to a crushing defeat of the Soviet Union. But this win did not come easy. It was not an easy win. It, it took an, an act of incredible bravery and courage in the face of agonizing pain. What the crowd did not know is that in the opening uh, floor exercises, Japan's uh, Shu, uh, Shu, Shun Fujimoto fell awkwardly and broke his right kneecap. As he walked off the stage, he refused to let the pain show, eager for his rivals not to see any sign of weakness. And amazingly, he went on to record scores in the, in the pommel horse and, on, 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 and, and most memorably the, the rings before finally bowing down out of the contest. It is reported that his performance in the rings, in the rings discipline was agonizing to watch knowing that he had to end his routine with a twisting double somersault dismount. His mind must have been wrecked by the pain in prospect. Yet he landed the move superbly, albeit gingerly. And, and he then hobbled off the stage and missed the remainder of the competition. It was his determination in, in pain that eventually led the team to victory. When I read or, or hear stories like this, I am personally challenged as an individual. My thought usually when I think about things like this or read things like this is if someone can show such bravery and courage in the face of agonizing pain for an earthly reward that is perishing, how much more I when my reward is eternal. When I survey Christi Christianity today and, and Christians in our day, I, I find very sadly that we are easily pleased. There seems to be a lack of spiritual hunger for God. There seems to be apathy towards the things of God. God hardly finds space in our busy schedules. In fact, I believe the word busy has been idolized. We, we idolize the word busy so much. It, it is a word that we use to excuse ourselves from, from spending time in the word, from spending time in prayer or fellowship, but we hardly use it when it comes to things that are of importance to us. When it comes to the things of God, it's, it's easy to pull this word busy out of our wallets. And, and, and present it before God and say, this is my sacrifice to you. I am busy. But when it comes to things that are very important to us, we hardly use that word. It is clear that this does not describe biblical Christianity, true Christianity. So Paul's words in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 16 are important words that we need to pay attention to. Uh, this is an antidote to, to spiritual apathy, to, to spiritual negligence. In, in, in reading this passage, we are confronted with a man who is marked by a desire to grow in godliness. We, we, we are confronted by, by this man, and, and this should serve as an example to you and I as Christians. 
when we zoom into these verses, we see three things. First, we see confession and determination. We see intense pursuit. And we see advice. Let us look at the first thing that we see here in this passage in verse 12. Confession and determination. Look at verse 12. Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. When, when looking at Paul, there's a sense in which we feel like he is in a league of his own, that, that he has no spiritual equal. We, we tend to look at him uh, and think of him as a super Christian, that we cannot become like him there's a sense in which we often see what he he says as being beyond us as not involving people that are struggling spiritually like us we, we tend to think that what he says does not apply to us so paul was well aware that this could be the thinking of the christians in philippi so he, he addresses this misconception in the minds of the Philippians. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Here what Paul is doing is that he wants to dispel the myth that in this life, one can reach complete perfection. That they can reach a spiritual pinnacle where there is no more need for growth. Paul says, I have, no, no, I have not reached the limit of my growth. There, there is still room to grow as a Christian. And think about this. At this point in his life, Paul had been a Christian for over 30 years. Yet he still says, not that I have already obtained this. I have not arrived. The, the, the pronoun this refers back to verses 10 and 11, where, where Paul says that, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This was his goal. Yet in his confession, he says, it hasn't become a complete reality yet. I still continue desiring this. I have not reached the goal yet. He, he makes this confession before the Philippians to remind them that even though he's been a Christian for 30 years, there is still room for him to grow. He hasn't reached the spiritual pinnacle where he doesn't need to grow anymore. And it is sad to, to see professing Christians living their, their life as if they have arrived spiritually. It's like a child who learns how to ride a bicycle, right? In the early stages of their learning, they need supporting wheels so that they do not fall. But as time progresses and they get used to riding the bike, they, they, they do not need the wheels anymore because they can do it without the supporting wheels. Now they can do it. They say, Daddy, look at me. I am riding the bike without the supporting wheels. And it seems that people think that Christianity is like that. When you start as a Christian, you, you, you have a desire to study your Bible. You have a desire to pray and, and fellowship with believers. These things, you see them as supporting wheels. And as you continue, as you progress as a Christian, it seems that these things are not as important anymore. 
You, you feel like you don't need them anymore. You feel like you can do without them. They, 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 uh, and, and, and other things start to take over from that. They start to replace your prayer life. They start to replace your, 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 your Bible study, Bible reading. The, the, the time you used to spend in reading and prayer is replaced by television. It's replaced by the internet. Other things seem to matter more than the things of God. But we see a different attitude with Paul. He, he sees himself as not having reached the spiritual, not having reached spiritual perfection. Yet in the midst of, 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 of that confession, we see his determination. He, he's a man who is determined. He, he doesn't use the fact that he is not perfect as an excuse for spiritual laziness or as an excuse for sin. That's what we hear today, right? Where, 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 where someone is, is, is living a, a, a life that is against the will of God, a life of sin, and you confront them and they say, Pastor, we're not perfect. We, we are not perfect. Paul admits that fact and says, yes, we are not perfect, but that is not supposed to be an excuse, right? It's not supposed to be an excuse to continue living a life of sin. It's not an excuse to continue living a life of spiritual laziness. But instead, we see here, Paul sees this as an opportunity to continue growing. The fact that I have not reached uh, 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 the, the spiritual pinnacle, if there's such a thing, if I have not reached the spiritual pinnacle, uh, 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 it, it means that there's still room to keep growing right it, it means there's still room for me to to continue pushing so paul sees this as an opportunity to continue to grow note verses 12 note what he says in verse 12 he says not that i have already obtained this or am already perfect but i press on to make it my own i i, I press on to make it my own the, the the word press on is it can can rightly be translated pursue he says, I, I, I pursue these things. It, it, it is a language that comes from the world of athletics. It gives us an idea that this is something that Paul wants with all his heart. It is his all-consuming desire to know Christ. Looking back at verses 10 and verses 11, that I may know him. And, and he says, I have not reached that point yet where I know him completely. I, I have not reached that point where, of, of spiritual perfection. But he says, I continue to press on. I, I pursue this. This is my all-consuming desire. And that has been the focus of, of this letter as he writes to the Philippians. It, Christ has been the focus of this letter. Joy in Christ. Christ is the one who, who brings his joy. It, it is not hard to miss uh, 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 the fact that Paul is lifting up the name of Christ in all of this letter that he writes to the Philippians. Christ is the center of, of his message. Just think about it. In chapter 1, verse 1, Paul calls himself a servant of Christ, a, a slave of Christ. He sees Christ as a master who is to be served. In, in verse 2, Christ is the one in whom grace and peace flow. He is the source and fountain of grace 
and peace. In verse 6, he is the one who will receive his church that is perfected and made complete by the Father through the Holy Spirit applying the work of redemption in us. And you continue in verse 8, Christ is the one who binds believers in love and affection. In verse 11, he is the one who fills us with the fruit of righteousness. In verses 12 to 13, he is worth suffering the worst, the worst hardships for. And that is why Paul in chapter 1, verse, verse, verse 21 says, In this life I live for Christ, and, and when I die I will gain Christ. For, for me to live is Christ, and, and to die is gain. His message is all about Christ. It is Christ-focused, Christ-centered, and Christ-glorifying. He says, I just want to know Christ. I I, I want to be found living for him in this life. And when I die, I want to be gaining Christ. This is his focus. He says, I, I, I am pressing on. I, I am pursuing it. I'm, I'm like an athlete who is running towards this goal. This is my all-consuming desire. And that is why this should bring us back to the words of chapter 3, verse 11, where Paul says that I may know him. It brings us back to this words. Paul here is not merely talking about knowing the facts about Christ, knowing facts about Christ. He's not just talking about head knowledge. It is easy to know facts about Christ. It is easy to have head knowledge. Paul is not talking about just knowledge that is found from reading a systematic theology. Paul says this knowledge that we find in reading that systematic theology must lead to a greater knowledge. It is not just in, 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 in the area of, 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 of head knowledge. It's not just in the area of, 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 of facts. Those are important. I'm not saying those are not important. Those are important and you must know them. But it must not just end there. It, it must go further. It, it, it must be a personal, experiential knowledge of Christ, an intimate knowledge of Christ. And this is what Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about ticking the box of theology here. He's not talking about ticking the box of just Bible reading for the sake of Bible reading. He says, I want to know him. And I don't want you to miss this point here. This is the driving force of the Christian life. And the best test to see if you have that, this desire is very simple. It's a very simple test. Let me give it to you. How is your prayer life and, and Bible reading? I'm not saying raise your hand, but you yourself personally know. You yourself personally know how much time do you spend in the word of God? How much time do you spend on your knees before God? This is the thermometer to test the temperature of your spiritual life whether you are cold or, or hot. How is your prayer life? How is your Bible reading? John MacArthur comments on Paul's passion by saying this. He says, such passion is the driving force behind powerful prayer. Those who know God best often and most fervently pray. Their love for him compels them to know and serve him better. How about you? Is your knowledge of God intimate? Does the character of your prayers reveal 
that you are in the process of knowing God. And this should be our pursuit. If you have a longing, if you are to have a longing, if you are to have a desire, a desire in this life, let it be a desire for Christ. Let it be a desire for Christ. That is what every Christian is called to do, to, to make Christ our passion. Christ should be our all-consuming passion. Paul's song of knowing Christ should be our song. It should be our waking up song. It should be our going to bed song. That I may know him. And let me concede to this. Sometimes it does feel like an overwhelming challenge to live for Christ, right? It does feel overwhelming. But, but that shouldn't be a deterrent. That, that should be, shouldn't be something that, that, that um, um, turns us away from, from living for Christ, from making Christ our passion. Paul himself is honest about his own challenges. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, he, he honestly and admittedly uh, 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 says that the troubles he and Timothy endured in Asia had taxed them beyond measure, and they feared for their lives. He, he admits his weaknesses. He, he admits his fears. But Paul says that in the midst of these troubles, they learned a very important lesson. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, this is what he says. He says, indeed, we, we felt that we had received a sentence of death. In, in that situation, we felt like we were about to die and we were scared, we were afraid. But listen to what he says. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Right? That, that, that weakness, that difficulty was, was to make us not rely on our own strength, not to rely on our own abilities, but to rely on God who raises the dead. It was to look to God. It was to, so that our lives may be God-focused, may be looking to God alone. And, and this should be our constant confession. Right? It should be our constant confession, saying to God, going back to God each and every time, saying, by myself, I cannot do it. By myself, I cannot do it. I cannot live a life that is pleasing to you, Lord. It is only by your strength. It is only by your strength, right? As the hymn says, the strength to follow your commands could never come from me. The Christian life is best lived in total dependence on God. We, we, we live on the strength of God. We live on the enabling power of God, on the, on the working of God in us. It, it is not by our strength. And, and whenever we face weakness and difficulty, it, it is to remind us that the strength is not with us. It is on God. Paul says this lesson was important to us. We had to be weak. We had, to be, we had to face these difficulties. We had. It, it was a master that we faced them because if we did not face them, we would continue trusting in our own abilities. We will continue relying on ourselves. But God brought these situations providentially to lead us to this thought that we may not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. The words of Paul when he says, I press on. 
to, to make it my own. Also give us a sense that there is indeed hardships and challenges. That there are so many things that fight for our attention in this world. So, so many things that could potentially disturb your Christian walk. Especially in our, our technology age, right? There are so many things. It is easy to spend hours with your face glued on Facebook just looking at memes and laughing, meme after meme, meme after meme, and joke after joke, everything just taking your t attention or, or spending your time on some other social uh, uh, network. It's easy to, to, to be glued on a TV screen, watching soapy after soapy, drama after drama, or, or, or to read through fashion magazines the whole day. It, it is easy. There are so many things that are, that are trying to, to take our attention away from God. And I'm afraid sometimes they are winning. Right? You find yourself asking yourself, where, where, where did that time go? But Paul says, in the midst of that, I press on to make it my own. In other words, Paul is saying, this is so important to me. This is of importance that I cannot let any fleeting pleasure mislead me away from it. I press on to make it my own. It is that important. Just, just think about an athlete. Right? Fellow? Think about an athlete who, who runs and uh, they have a goal in mind to achieve. And there are people who are, who are cheering on the sides, right? Some people are holding water uh, for, for these people. But you, you won't find ever an athlete stopping to take the water. They take the water and run, right? They don't stop and, and start to have conversations with those people because they have a, 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 a greater goal in mind. They, they have a greater passion in mind. They have a greater achievement in mind, a greater purpose in their, in, in their mind because these things for them don't matter. They want to achieve that goal. And what motivates Paul to be de de determined? You ask yourself, why is Paul so determined to say, I, I press on to, to make it my own? What is the motivation for such a longing? He explains in verse 12 again. He says, look at what he says. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Listen to, to why now. He says, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Christ Jesus has made me his possession. You see that? that? There is no greater motivation to pursue a life of holiness than the fact that Christ has purchased you for himself. Paul looks to his salvation as the motivation to press on in his Christian walk. When Christ saves a man or a woman, he saves them not to a life of apathy or, or negligence, but to a life of conformity to Christ-likeness. Right? Christ calls us to a life of conformity to Christ-likeness, to a life of holiness. Every Christian is called to do that. 
That is why Paul addresses that misconception that it is just some Christians when he tells them that even I, who has been a Christian for 30 years, have not really reached it. I have not obtained it yet. It is is to every Christian. Cantus beautifully explains it this way. He says, brothers and sisters, if you have, see, you have been seized by Christ and are in the grip of his grace, you must press on in your own heart grasping pursuit of an ever deeper knowledge of him. The, the, the gospel allows no room for a blend middle class ethic that strives to be neither hot or cold. We are, called, we, are, we are called, every mother, daughter, father, son, to be a single-minded, to, to a single-minded, determined pursuit of Christ. That is your calling. Your calling is to, to a single-minded pursuit of Christ, a, a determined pursuit of Christ as a Christian. And the only way we can do this in a way that we continue to be motivated is the fact that Christ has made us his own, right? There's nothing that is more motivating than that. To know that Christ came from, from heaven. He, he went to the cross. He, he died in my place. He gave his life as a ransom for my life. He died and he was buried. He rose again for my justification so that I can be right with God. And by faith in him, trusting in the work of Christ, I am made a son, a daughter of God. That motivates me to live a life that is pleasing to him. Let me conclude by this. Because I don't want to uh, keep going. I, I, I will do the other verses next week. Let me conclude by this. I, 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 there's a passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It, it's in the context where Paul is talking about a, a, a brother in church who was living a life of uh, immorality, a, a, a kind of immorality that is uh, even not uh, known even in the world. Paul addresses this issue, but there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a part where Paul talks about Christ as a Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul, let me look for it. He says, let, let, let me read oh, chapter 5. I'm, I'm, I'm on chapter 3. In verse 7. He, he calls this church, he says, cleanse out the old leaven that you, you may be a new lump. For as you really are unleavened, I, 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 this is the part I want to come to. He says, for Christ, our Passover lamp has been sacrificed. Listen to this. Christ, our Passover lamp has been sacrificed. What is our response to, to this? To, to, to Christ being sacrificed as a Passover lamp? He says, verse 8, let us celebrate the festival. That is a very important passage. Because Christ died for us on the cross, he purchased us. A, 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 a holy life, a, a life that pleases him, a life of godliness is a life that celebrates what Christ has done for us. 
In other words, if we were to bring this context back to, 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 to Philippians chapter 3, Paul is saying, I press on because I'm celebrating what Christ has done for me. I'm celebrating the sacrifice of Christ. That is the motivation. That is the one motivation that keeps us going. The fact that Christ, the Passover lamp, has been sacrificed. Amen. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we thank you. We thank you even as we um, consider your word, consider our lives and, and just see how sometimes we just have this apathy towards the things of God, this spiritual negligence. And yet when we come to the words of Scripture, we find a man like Paul saying, I press on to make it my own, to, to know Christ. We pray that this will be the theme of our lives. This will be what characterizes us as Christians. Christians in pursuit of Christ-likeness. Help us, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.